That's a topic too. Write this down. Taking notes right now. (laughs) That was a good one. Yeah. I also made myself a really good drink. So one of my favorite drinks from Starbucks is their peach green tea lemonade. So I picked myself up some peach juice and made some lemonade and some green tea. It's very tasty. And because I still don't have an ice cube tray, yep. I used frozen berries. Yeah, that sounds delicious. So hi. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. Oh, pande- it's pandemic update time. Pandemic update, go. Okay, well, for me... There's still a pandemic? Yeah, well, I guess it's just more so pandemic update on how we're handling the pandemic. I, like, saw real humans outside that I didn't know for, like, the first time ever. Because all of us are vaccinated. There's a little housewarming party at Becca's. And it was hard to get comfortable because that still feels very strange. Yeah. To be in any space unmasked. So it took me a while to get comfortable. And if we were inside... I definitely would have still masked. Even though some of those things are relatively safe for me at this point, it's difficult to get back into the groove of it. So how are you doing with that? Well, restrictions here have been loosened for longer, and the situation was never quite as dire. So I guess I am pretty comfortable in almost every situation here, even though our numbers are climbing, as they say, and they're predicted to climb higher. I think being fully vaccinated makes me feel secure for myself and for the family, which is what my priority is. And I feel like people, generally speaking, aside from children under 12, have had an opportunity, hopefully, to resolve any potential problem for themselves. And, And so people that aren't prepared to go any further there's nothing I can do. They're going to live their lives and they're going to endanger other people. So be it. I can't live in my shell for the rest of my life to try and protect people that won't be protected. Yeah. Right. That don't want my help that, that resent the infrastructure that's there to try and provide it. It makes me sad. So that's what I think about more often is the fact that I, I mean, I'm putting my mask on when I go into stores because most businesses are still masking. Not all of them, especially mm-hmm. smaller ones. But but anything with a, a corporate structure, employees are masked, I think, because they feel a greater sense of responsibility to the people that are working for them. Yeah. Or a greater sense of liability. I'm not sure which it is. But um, I feel like as long as people are putting in the effort that it's not hard for me to try and put in the effort. Yeah. I that's how I feel especially in like retail situations. Mm-hmm. Some people are really quick to be or like in a restaurant or whatever. Some people are really quick to be like, "Oh, I can take my mask off now." So I'm going to that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to take it off. But for me it's just like a lot of those workers don't have the opportunity to work anywhere that doesn't put them in a great deal of risk. And so it's very, it takes very little effort for me to wear a mask around them. I think I am happy that I can be unmasked around some of my friends now that 
provides a huge comfort to me or even like hugging people like Tila just came to visit for an evening and I was able to give her a hug and um like eat we ate uh dinner together although that's a funny story because the place we wanted to go to was booked up and so we went to this place called Fowl I think F-O-W-E-L yeah like birds um not thinking that it was like I think it was called Fowl. It was some bird wordplay. Uh, it was definitely not the right ve- veg- uh, <laughs> restaurant for a vegetarian. Yeah. We'll, well say you, that much. You wouldn't think that maybe you would go into a place called Bovine uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bovine Delights or something, even though one could take that as a great place for cows to come and eat. So therefore, exactly. you know, lots maybe of grass on the Maybe they're super humane to cows. <laughs> Yeah, I, we didn't really think it through because we had looked for a couple places. Isn't Tila most cafe... leading vegetarian these days too? Or no? Oh, I... what? No, that's I'm... Liz. That's Liz. Never mind. Oh, yeah. No, because both her and Vi had the chicken, uh, which they both said was very good, which it should be in like a chicken restaurant. Like it was like explicitly like yeah, but a I, chicken I, I kind of feel like, oh, just chicken? Because if I went to a place called Fowl, let's say I ate meat and I went to a place called Fowl, I would probably want to try something I wasn't likely to get at an ordinary restaurant, like say an A and W or <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken. Right. Like I might, I might go for the squab or or duck or squab. something. Squab. Right? Squab sounds delicious, like that word, oh, doesn't it? I think it sounds disgusting. It sounds disgusting. No, I'm. I'm gonna... It sounds worse than like pigeon. <laughs> right, as it should. No, I got the mac and cheese, which was very tasty there. And I got their Caesar salad slaw, which was disgusting. Like, I didn't finish it. It was Caesar just not doing it for slaw. me. So Caesar dressing on shredded cabbage Coleslaw. and carrots. And, yeah. Well, it's shredded kale. and That should be good. And it was served. The shred was, like, so small, It was small, served though. in the belly of a turkey. No, you know how, like... um. Like how tartare is served, like where they make like the pucks of it and they like put it on your... Yeah. It was served like that and the kale and all the things were so finely shredded that it, it was felt like, like it had been... you've eaten partial digested vegetable matter. Yeah. <laughs> it just was not... Just not this is good. what cows... Speaking of bovine, it's what cows experience when they bring it up later yeah. to chew it again. So that would be a bovine... They should have called it the bovine delight. Yeah. <laughs> Fowl's own um, bovine delight. The highlight, though, was definitely the dessert. They had an amazing pumpkin cheesecake that I had. Mm. It wasn't like, it didn't feel like a real cheesecake. It felt like, because it was in like a, I don't know, it had like a little bit of a denser texture, but it was very tasty. So was it a dense texture, but was there texture within the cheese? Like as if there were a couple different kinds of cheese that hadn't fully melded or... No, uh, I think it's just they used like a higher proportion of pumpkin to whipped cream cheese, maybe. So it's just like there was less less air beaten into this cheesecake. Okay. Um, but the the crust was also very tasty. It was just very solid. Speaking of cheesecake, it's my twenty seventh anniversary today. Yeah, congratulations with with your mother. Not yeah, not just, just like of <laughs> you know. 27th anniversary it's a weird of save thing your learning birthday. how to drive or something. <laughs> Actually, I've I've been uh, 
I've been married to your mother longer than I could drive. I was going to say. Well, not longer than I could drive, longer than I'd legally been allowed to drive because it took me so long to get my license. You would have been better suited to, to my generation, as you've discussed in many ways. Like you would have been a YouTuber, you would have been a parkour person, and you never would have learned how to drive. Yeah, that's true. Because uh, that's a big thing in my generation, apparently. Other than people who live in small towns. Like, pretty much everybody who lives in a small town learns how to drive, and, like, nobody in Toronto knows how to drive unless they've come from somewhere else. Because why would you? No, I, I fully agree, and there's lots of times in my life where I thought I would like to try and do without a car. Despite loving driving, I, I, hate, yeah. I hate fossil fuel consumptive vehicles. Your mother uttered words that were music to my ears just the other day. Are you getting a Tesla? I didn't say <laughs> it was a symphony from the heavens. I said it was music. <laughs> she mentioned something about our next car possibly being electric. I feel like the chances Ooh. of it being a Tesla are <laughs> slim to none. Just I mean, maybe if you added in, maybe if you added in some of your yearly tech fund, which I believe is like $8,000, mom said. Since the Tesla could... that I crave is the Model S, which arguably is they've made some changes to the model in terms of the steering wheel which now it's like it's like the it's the super stick steering wheel that you hold on to instead of a circle oh which i've heard some complaints about i'm not sure that i i'm not sure it would bother me but it might anyway that <laughs> that vehicle is like i don't know a hundred thousand dollars or something so oh right as electric vehicles are becoming more of a thing in the mainstream there will be selections that are well-suited to me that don't have to be a Tesla, so. Right, makes sense. My editing has gone so much more smoothly on her and Anne's podcast, uh, The Cracked Cup. Available on uh, anywhere you get your podcast. Now supported by their Patreon supporters. <laughs> um, <laughs> Liz and Anne's podcast is very casual, like our podcast. And there's a lot of laughing, like long stretches of laughing. And I feel like Anne should be an honorary James because whenever one of them is laughing super loudly or telling a story, they just talk over each other and they just talk louder and louder and louder. And so the amplification is frequently like totally blown out on their podcast and I have to do a lot of editing during the funniest parts of their stories that's to too, sort of bring the sound down. Yeah, but even then, if you've, if you, if you've reached the point where the sound is clipped there's nothing you can do it's like the highlights being blown out in your photo there that information is lost to the sands of time all you can do is try and make it so it doesn't hurt everybody else's ears yeah it, it it'll definitely be worse quality but most of it's not like fully blown out it's like just in that red zone so you so you know here's i got a question for you okay it's, it's just come out of nowhere great welcome to the podcast by the way Yes, we've officially Sweet started listeners. 20 minutes in. <laughs> I don't know. I think we officially started. There's no rules about introducing your podcast. True. Like, I'm going to say fuck right now, and then maybe that'll make it in or not. It's just, it's the tradition now. It's the rule in our podcast that you have to have a 20-minute cold open. That's the... <laughs> I think a lot of the podcasters I listen to have what they call a pre-show or and a post-show. And uh, they yeah. they sell they sell the pre shows or post shows as part of oh. a, as the subscription, and the other stuff is the ad supported main show, right? 
I'm going to be like, we're going to talk cool. about our vacations after this. Right. For the people that are dropping us five bucks a month or whatever. If you want to drop us $5 a month, and when we'll uh, definitely have set up a Patreon or... Yeah, I accept e-transfers. <laughs> e-transfers. <laughs> Very official. Yeah, well... I'm a poor university student, so however they decide to get money to me, if they want to, if they want to mail me some rolls of quarters, I'll I'll accept that. Until until we set up an official channel, I guess that's the best we can do. I used to love rolls of quarters. I remember rolling quarters for you. But I used to take cash into a bank or a store and trade it in for coins. Right, the opposite of what everybody else does. Yeah, because I because I had this uh, fantasy that I that I wanted to live in uh, whatever the olden times of yore were and carry my gold in pouches at my waist. So I, my girlfriend right. and I made pouches that I would tie onto my belt <laughs> or my pants loops or whatever, however I could manage it. Sometimes it was just rope. And then I would often have 20 or $30 in quarters, loonies and toonies so that I would jingle as I walked taunting taunting the thieves and burglars uh, to come and pick my pockets come slit your coin purse yeah the difference between sarah and mom is always like astounding to me like how how similar it seems like your guys's interests were and how dissimilar you and mom are but you and mom obviously work better since you got married but like it's just very interesting there's a difference between what you entertain as wishing the world was and what your approach to the world as it is will be. And Sarah and I didn't have good communication and we didn't have any ability to set a good plan. And I didn't know how to make that work. And, and if she knew how, she, it, she kept it to herself. <laughs> and um, so, I, I mean, I miss those things. It's one of the things that I liked best about having children was was that uh, past tense you don't have them anymore that ability to play well no you guys are old and much more boring now <laughs> but more interesting to have extended conversations with i suppose although my conversations with ada on our vacation were fun question i have a question oh, yeah? about um well oh, shit I, I had a question it was about pot it was about audio editing maybe because i was oh yeah. yeah you're like a you're a baby editor now you've been editing a podcast professionally for several months now no like well i guess i've edited like three or four episodes of it they only come out monthly so okay so going from knowing almost nothing about editing what are you editing with i'm still editing with audacity what's on what platform on just on my laptop which is a mac yeah okay macbook air and yeah, it was very easy to pick up. Audacity isn't, as you explained to me, very intuitive because it's a very old platform. Um, so it's built with the idea that only people who actually want to be serious at it are going to learn it. It's not the same as something like modern, like iMovie, that like really babies you through a lot of that stuff. I think the real difference is in Audacity's roots, aside from being old, is that it is designed as an open source piece of software at its yeah. fundamentally. So it's, uh, it's, I don't know if it was developed by one person or if it's a community, but it would be using free snippets of code from other places brought together. And so it winds up having a, an ad hoc hodgepodge mm -hmm. kind of nature. I remember 
so when I worked at the library initially, this is maybe 12 years ago, I was into these portable tools on the computer because the library used stuff that I hated and I wanted to be able to use my own stuff, but I didn't have the privileges to install. Yeah. So Audacity was one of a series of tools that was in some form designed to be run off of a thumb drive. So you could, oh. it was a whole project and I don't know if it still exists. This would be interesting to, maybe I should look into it. It was a, they were portable apps that could be, that were so small and, and internally complete that they could, they could just run off of a thumb drive on basically any computer. And so I, I had a whole series of things and it was my thing to go into work and do all the work that they asked me to do, but not use any of their cruddy software. Right. Anyway, so Audacity is kludgy and hard to use, but... I use like four functions on it. Like I use fade in, fade out, like noise, noise reduction, um, amplification, and like their cutting tool. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Do Liz and Anne on this podcast, do they, they record their audio separately and then you have to sync it up? No, I do for their videos, but Liz sends me a partially edited version of the podcast. So my aspiration for what I'm going to get to do eventually as an editor is I also want to be a part of the storytelling, which I'm not right now. She sends you an already combined her and Anne's audio. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that takes away a lot of your power. Which is also, it's also shortened is the big thing. Like she cuts out stories and I probably rearranges the order that some of them occur in. And that's something that I got to do for a class last year that I really enjoyed and I'm most excited about editing our podcast and maybe getting to do some of was we had to do a 15 minute interview with one of our classmates uh, about something and I did mental health with one of my classmates and then you have to edit it together from a 15 minute interview into like three minutes of audio right like a little radio segment or something yeah and you're encouraged to cut out like all the questions that were asked to the person like it's an interview uh, that you were supposed to do in the podcast form and then you have to cut it down it, but it has to make sense as a story because this was for my storytelling class. So the goal of editing it down is not to like figure out what goes on the cutting room floor, but to be able to practice building a cohesive story with a variety of elements. And that's the thing that I'm really excited to do. I enjoy doing the other stuff, but I hope eventually after I'm more used to doing some of the basic editing that that's something I get to do too. Do you see yourself as a storyteller? I do. Yeah. When did that happen? I or did you do you feel you I mean, the right answer is of course we are all storytellers. That's what anytime I'm teaching kids about storytelling, that's what we try and get to. But the concept that we are storytelling machines as human beings versus I am a person who crafts stories intentionally as opposed to being unable to do anything else. I think I realized it about myself when we had a conversation about this a while back, but a while ago, I realized I was a chronic oversharer, like you are as well. <coughs> Bullshit. <laughs> now, when I meet new people, sharing details with them that are very personal, or even with friends, just being like very, very open. And I realized that when I am giving people advice, I use personal vulnerability as my main way, sorry, I was getting a call. I use personal vulnerability as my main way to help people feel comfortable with themselves. 
So when I have a friend that's like struggling to make a specific decision or they're like they're having difficulty accepting a part of themselves, I will use stories about myself in those same situations to help them feel comfortable and like they're not unusual. So I think that's one of the biggest ways that I use it just like casually, I guess, in everyday settings. I have at times thought of it as oversharing, as you say, but that really struck me as wrong. I mean, I'm not embarrassed of it. It could also be the reaction of the person that's hearing it, right? They may perceive that as oversharing. But your intention, like it's not, it's not accidental, I assume. It's intentional. No. And so I would encourage you to think of it as maybe deep sharing as opposed to superficial, which is what most people in engaging in I'm getting to know you conversations tend to start with very superficial stuff. And, and I find that to be a waste of time. If I have no interest in a relationship with you, the superficial is fine, like whatever. It's part of how we go through our day-to-day -day lives. There's nothing wrong with it. And, and superficial conversation can be fun and bantery. But if there is a suspicion in my mind or an interest in trying to establish a deeper relationship, I cut to the chase very fast. Mm -hmm. And I haven't found that to be repulsive to people. I've found mostly that the people that I'm the most interested in talking to will, will take you up on that and be yeah. relieved of the duty of chit-chat in favor of something that feels more real. Yeah. I don't know, like, I've I've always known this about myself in terms of, like, identity sharing, right? Like, I know we've talked about this before, but, like, how I aggressively, and I'm not using aggressive as a bad word here, but I aggressively come out to people when I first meet them because especially as somebody who can be straight passing when I'm in a heterosexual relationship, I want people to know my identity so bad because I feel like it puts them at ease as well. I feel like a lot of queer people can be really uncertain around people that they meet for the first time because they're wondering, is this person going to be accepting of me? Is this going to be a comfortable situation or uncomfortable? And when I come out right away, it puts everybody at ease or it can be something that we share. And then that person comes out in return. I also do that. I've started doing that around disability. I was judging a debate round and I had like, I had to remove this uh, massive white pillow from behind my back when I was judging, <laughs> like as I was giving them feedback and I was like, I apologize for removing the, the comically large pillow, but my body is, <laughs> is quite disabled right now. <laughs> and the kids did seem a little bit uncomfortable about that, but that's because people are uncomfortable about disability. It makes them feel uncomfortable, and my purpose of sharing it is to try to destigmatize it. And it's not just disability. I mean, using that word may be occasionally loaded to people where they're, they're put on edge or, or anxious right away, but also people don't like to think about the bodies of other people right in certain situations and so you're in a debate setting which is a highly intellectual you're dealing with <laughs> with younger people who have been raised in different areas where they're they're not thinking about their bodies or bodily functions and suddenly you're like yeah this thing that was in close contact with my skin or maybe I was sitting on maybe I was farting on it who knows it's got all these <laughs> there's all these messy possibilities that I've just been faced with and in addition to the fact that someone has just said the word disability and what does that mean and 
am I judging them now or, you know, whatever. I think it's it's yeah. very complicated. Very complicated, but I I still do it. And I had a great interaction at a party because I shared that I had just been diagnosed with ADHD and like four other people that were in this circle with me were like, hey, me too. And we were all talking about uh, a couple of them. I felt a little bit out of place in terms of like, I am not like a typical person with ADHD where most of the people with ADHD I know have struggled with school because of it. And because, maybe because I had you guys as parents, especially mom, teaching me a lot of coping mechanisms, or maybe it was because I am technically gifted, which I hate that word. Whatever it is, I've never really struggled with school. And so a lot of these people describe the phenomena of being really good at school, like all the way up until like grade 10, and then suddenly getting really horrible grades. And whatever it is about the school system then just wasn't wasn't being functional for them to succeed. But I don't relate to that at all. I think you start getting less support, right? The right. Teachers assume that you have more responsibility, more ability to do that. I want to go back to something again that you said. <laughs> you said you hated the term gifted. Yeah. You hate the term. You hate it being applied to you, all of the above. I hate what the word implies. Because I don't mind there being a word for the way that I think. I think that's fine. I don't mind labeling things. But it implies that there are also people who are not gifted or unintelligent. Because like gifted becomes synonymous in people's minds with intelligent. And that's not what it means. Right? It's about a different way of thinking. But the implication of the word gifted implies smart which is another word that I don't like. Is there a better word? Divergent thinker. Yeah, but that is non-specific, right? Divergent, divergent thinking can go in any or all directions, right? It does not yeah. indicate a propensity to succeed in certain areas or potentially fail in others, which is what gifted to people that understand the term means. Mm-hmm. Or you could say successfully divergent. I don't know. That's the problem with language, right? And, and as someone who's dealing with, who's taking classes in disability and understands the the fraught nature of how this language works, I would I should have thought that you would be more forgiving of a term that's been used in education for I don't know twenty years probably now. It's right. It's like maybe it's due for an update. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing is I understand why it's there. But that doesn't stop me from being like, mm, I don't love the connotation of this word. Just like I don't love the connotation of special ed. Like, just call it, like, the disability classroom. Like, the reason you call something special ed is because you don't want to say disability. It's, right? Like, yeah. and, but I think that, like, the reason I don't like the word gifted is because it places a supremacy on people. Well, gift, gifting sounds automatically good, right? It's like everybody wants a gift. <laughs> right? And and the thing is, is that, like, lots of, like, technically gifted kids don't function well in the academic system. Mom studies kids who are twice exceptional, right? Which is what I am as well, so who have a disability and have, are gifted, Right? And that's that's true for a lot of people, but I'm just, I'm not a huge fan of the term, but I don't know what a better term would be. Well, it's it's problematic because there's there's a separation between gifted and people who excel at school, 
There are lots yeah. of people that have acquired the knowledge or have the mental acuity and the work ethic to slay all of the work that they are regularly given at school. And uh, that's not the same as the kind of thinking that's implied by gifted. So I challenge you to maybe for next next week, you're going to come up with a better word. And then we'll, we'll yeah. find a way to seed it into the school system and take over the world. There are lots of words that <laughs> I don't know why it made me think of this, but who's having a conversation with uh, with Becca, I think about because I was talking about Jordan and how cousin is such a great gender neutral term. Like it's just it's something that we just use, whereas other terms like niece and nephew or aunt or uncle we don't have gender neutral terms for except for the queer community has decided that the gender neutral term for niece or nephew is niblet. Yes, I recall this, although I could never remember it. Yeah. And Becca just hates it. <laughs> she thinks it sounds really weird. I mean, I think that whatever that, like, I don't have a place to say it because I don't fall within that community. So, you know, I wonder how many new words, because I, I know you and mom have had to learn many new words uh, as the course of probably having us as kids or new ways of saying things at least and I wonder how that's going to happen to me as I grow up because I'm just curious about the kinds of advancements that'll be made that I don't expect because obviously I expect lots of new gender neutral language but I'm curious about what's going to be the big change that takes me by surprise and my kid has to be like oh you're really outdated for doing this yeah, or well see whatever. i predict think about an area where you feel like you're advanced and and uh that's gonna be it <laughs> <laughs> right like you're sort of um you're growing up on the the rising wave of vegetarianism I think that mm -hmm. I, I heard recently that, was it you that was saying that there's, that A&W doesn't have regular chicken nuggets oh, anymore? Oh, Matt said Matt that said it. last and night. all they have is Beyond Meat nuggets. Which is amazing. Which is crazy uh, for for a place like A&W that thrives on the hamburger market, right? It's That's their whole thing. Well, and root beer. Mm. I know that there are like smaller companies that do lots of vegetarian things, but I think they are definitely the first fast food company to do this, at least that I know of. So here's what I'm predicting is a trend that has already existed, much the same way as gay communities and, and people who wanted to express gender neutrality or those are the things that they did exist when mom and I were mm -hmm. young. I was very unaware of most of them. And as I became aware of them, it, it seemed like it was a very slow burn and then bang, it was just like right out there. And I right. think that it's going to be something like that. And so my prediction, which I think I've made before, although I don't know if I've mentioned it to you specifically, is that it will be something around animal rights to the point right. where maybe there will be a movement in society which rapidly gains traction for something that's already existed dolphins chimps that sort of thing but you're starting to see a lot of people with with pets now treating them much more like children than we ever used to part of that is advances mm -hmm. in in the understanding of of animals what their illnesses are how their behavior works we we just know so much more about it and we pay closer attention so i feel like 
one of the things that could come out of left field is suddenly pet ownership, mass slaughter of animals, all that kind of stuff becomes incredibly taboo. And a lot of the language or ways we talk about animals as being other, maybe that flips and it's we, we start to view things more holistically as animals being, you know, brothers and sisters or niblets or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's already something that has taken me by surprise is I'm a part of this group on Facebook called Poll Party where people just ask random questions mm -hmm. and poll people about it and sometimes they're funny and sometimes they're serious whatever but one of them popped up about indoor and outdoor pets and it just took me completely by surprise because to me it always felt like the ethical thing to have an outdoor cat. Oh yeah, and people are super vehement people about are cats so having to upset. be only indoors, and or if you you can have a catio, like a and it fenced in yeah. area for your cat, which sounds great, but pretty hard to achieve. That's a I consider that to be a highly privileged uh... investment. Yeah, no, but it's just like I saw the comments of these people being like, "You're destroying the local ecosystem." your cat is going to die early of disease or getting hit by a car. And I know that like our other cats have died early from getting hit by a car too. Like that was Lila. But I feel like if I got a kitten now that maybe I would keep them inside. I don't know. But it feels, it does feel yucky. And I would never try to keep Pippin inside because that's like Pippin's whole life. Like, less so now. She goes outside less and less as she gets older. But, like, I remember when we tried to keep her inside for a while because we were worried about her getting into fights or getting hit by cars. And she just hated it. And she took every opportunity to try to escape, right? Yeah, it's it's tricky because rather than saying what is the safest thing that we can do and how do we protect this other individual... And I could be talking about a cat here, or I could be talking about a human. I always look at it from a presumptive position. Do I presume that I know what's best for this, for this creature? Yeah. Right. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna own a cat, that already feels terrible to me. Right. So, you know, animal rights activists unite. <laughs> if I'm gonna, but <laughs> at the same time, it, when I have a cat in my home, if I'm if I'm sharing my home with a cat. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not foolish enough to think that I don't know more about the way the city world works than mm -hmm. my cat. I do. And I know that I know how dangerous traffic is and what the odds are that it's going to be off. But there's also the part about what does this animal, what does it want? What would I want in its situation if I was mm -hmm. either a captive or a co-exister in a space? I, I would want autonomy even at the price of being put at risk. Yeah. And that's how I feel as well. Is that like, if your cat, like, let's say that there's a cat who like never shows a desire to go outside. Like, why not? Right? Like, sure. I've heard of, I've, I've heard that's actually fairly common. Lots of cats are yeah. just big fluff balls that want to sit around, eat their food, be pets, sit in a sunny window and watch the world go by. There's humans like that too. Great. Power to you. But I'm not that kind of human. I know. And it's just like, I just can't stand the thought of like that being your cat's desire and you forcibly detaining them in your house. Like that just, 
it doesn't feel right to me. It's the peril of ownership. That's going to be one of the areas where I fall behind. I don't think you will. I don't think you will fall behind. I think that that is actually, I predict that's the forward thinking. I think we're moving away from the concept of controlling our wildlife to a concept where we are stewarding it, right? And maybe stewarding cats in the city means that you should keep them in. Uh, I'm not convinced, but if everybody was to have a cat on their property, them all running around is just going to create utter chaos. Crowding does weird things to those kind of situations, but I feel like it's more likely that we will decide that pet ownership is not in the pet's best interests and we right that we just shouldn't own pets or certain kinds of pets could definitely see that even though i really want a cat i definitely see the unethical sides of it as well as the like even if it's enjoyable for your cat to live with you that doesn't make it ethical it's one of the reasons we tried to select from cats that were unwanted members of a of a litter of kittens or from the SPCA. We didn't go out and buy a cat from a pet store. Or a breeder. Because I, I was not prepared to participate in the economy of cats, right? I'm prepared to save a cat from having to be put down from the SPCA because there's nobody who will who will take ownership of it. But that was the way that I could justify having a cat in our house because otherwise i felt mm-hmm. like i was just i i felt like a dirt bag if if we were to go out and say yes i want this other life form to come and be cute and do the things that i want I, that's that's not my interest at all that's how i view vegetarianism as well it's like people are always like oh are you bothered by the fact that like i'm eating meat and i'm like well maybe i think that you shouldn't eat as much meat but i'm not bothered by it because i'm not contributing to that part of the economy it's not the same as me purchasing meat and pushing forward the demand for meat right there's a lot of things you can't control as a human being and we have to we have to accept that other people don't share our views and then just do our best yeah okay i actually do have a question for you okay and then and then we're gonna have to wrap soon because we're at we can we can make it into two episodes and i i have a very well, I don't think episodes episodes are as long as they are. That's, that's <laughs> episodes the way are it is. a social construct. Uh, my question was, and maybe we'll have to dip into this next week as well because it's kind of maybe an in-depth question. But like, I wanted to talk about parenting. If you recall, I brought it up as a potential topic in terms of. Aren't we always talking about parenting? Well, yes. Every every topic we've no. <laughs> I, I we just finished it. We just finished a, a conversation about parenting our cats. Oh, okay. Well, this is. I treated you guys the same. No. Yeah, probably. I mean, you you pay more attention. I just attention hope you to... didn't go out on the road. Yeah, I didn't want you to eat too many birds because the beaks got stuck in your throat. No, okay. Go ahead. Okay. What's, what's your parenting question? My question is about like unintentional and intentional lessons that you learned from your parents because we were talking about this oh yeah and Mm -hmm. i know we've talked about this a little bit from my perspective but i was wondering if there are unintentional good and bad lessons that you learned from your parents yes and the obvious one that comes to mind for me is my dad drank a lot when i was a kid up until the time when i was 12 when he finally managed to quit and so has been living as a dry alcoholic for 40 some years probably but uh, the consequence is that while I experimented a very little bit with alcohol as a teen I 
rapidly decided that that was too risky for me. I got myself into one or two situations where I felt like I had lost control and nothing bad happened other than feeling gross, you know, right. at, or the, end of, like at the end of vomiting for several hours and, and passing out on a carpet in somebody's house that I didn't know because I was there with my cousins. What I learned by putting that together with, with dad's experience was that I couldn't trust myself, that I was... yeah an addict waiting to happen and that I should be afraid of alcohol. And I'm not sure that that did me a great deal of harm, but as I gained a lot of skills and self-knowledge and self-control over the years, I didn't reintegrate that into my thinking about alcohol and I stayed at a distance from it because I was afraid that I couldn't manage it. Yeah. I'm not sure that's a good lesson about myself, but maybe... It was the smartest thing I ever did. So it's hard to say. Yeah. Well, we were talking about that, that how, how you've passed that on to me as a result of your dad, your dad's lessons, right? Like how I have a lot of anxieties about alcohol. And maybe that caused me to make better choices as well. Like who knows if that caused me to make better choices or not. But I decided that I don't want to have anything controlling me that is not my decisions which is why I decided to try to tackle my anxiety about marijuana and about alcohol, which marijuana you didn't pass on to me, except for I think it like the connection between alcohol and it in my head felt pretty identical. Mom and I were very clear about anything that would chemically alter the way your brain functions mm -hmm. as being open to suspicion. Yeah. You know, mom didn't even like to take Tylenol, although she's mostly gotten <laughs> over that because of all the headaches that she has. Yeah. I think your concerns over marijuana definitely were related to lessons that mom and I were deliberately teaching. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. It's hard to call that unintentional. No. Because well... that's that's how I wanted you to think. I wanted you to feel that. But the thing that I wanted or or that we wanted was for you to feel free to make decisions, but to have no illusions as to about how we felt. Well, see, that's the thing, is I didn't feel free to make decisions. So I talked about this with, um, about my aversion to conflict as well, as you and mom tried to deliberately teach that conflict is okay and that there are positive ways to have conflict. Model positive conflict resolution, yeah. Yeah, you guys tried to do all of that, but because of mom's trauma around conflict every time we'd have conflict she would just act so it would be so severe for her and she'd be so upset that it never felt like there could be good conflict right yeah, because no, that makes sense it's just like her reaction to it is so strong and i'm not saying it's disproportionate because she has her lived experience right about what conflict means it just meant that like even though you guys were like conflict can be a good thing your desire to teach that lesson didn't mesh with what conflict always actually looked like in our house. And so I still, I think, find conflict in our house to be very traumatizing sometimes. <laughs> I do. Um, and like, you know, that's the way it goes. But <laughs> well, I'm very conflict avoidant in general. Yeah. So combined with my, my desire to avoid conflict, mom's ability to tackle it so that it doesn't become anything more <laughs> yeah. than, than it absolutely needs to be in order to completely resolve or eradicate <laughs> the problem. It's complicated, the mix of messages in there, and you start mm -hmm. learning them 
as soon as you start, you know, observing the people around you. So you go from from a very simple understanding of the world yeah. and try to layer on understandings as you come to them. Yeah, that's going to be tricky. Well, that's what I mean about unintentional messages as well. So you guys were deliberately trying to teach the opposite thing, but because of who you guys were, it just wasn't it wasn't really possible. But I'm sure there are like really great unintentional things that you taught me that are just harder to pin down because I think you should harder add to know. unintentional lessons as a perennial topic to our show notes because sure. I feel like it's the kind of thing that you're going to we're going to realize something uh, about this every every few episodes and need to bring it up again because I'm sure there are a lot of things the way you know the, I think about the kinds of negotiations that mom and I had to have when we were first together because of different ways that families do things and you just make presumptions about them and so I came to realize that a lot of the the things that I just think are the way the world is is just because of how I was raised right yeah the way we open presents of one kind on Christmas Eve and of another kind <laughs> on Christmas morning was more about our nagging desires as children and mom and dad's desire to maybe sleep in on Christmas morning more than anything right it's yeah. like it wasn't it's not because that's the natural way it needs to be it's because it's what they were able to get through to cope as parents and then I I took those as lessons about that were hard-coded about you know how the, the world Christmas morning should be and yeah Wendy's like no it's not like that you do it this way <laughs> Well, and then as soon as, yeah, as soon as you have to marry those traditions with somebody else's traditions, you quickly realize that's not the world. Like, uh, when I first started living with Carly, um, I was shocked that her family did not load the dishes after each meal, that the dishes wait on, on the on the counter until the end of the day and then get loaded into the dishwasher. That was an insane concept to me. It was hilarious. <laughs> well, and just like people casually leaving messes places and things like that. Like it just seeing that in my friends and stuff growing up, it was just like, that was so mind blowing to me that that was something that casually happened in their houses. And I used to think that that would cause me to be like, oh, I wish I had like that family. But like half the time it did that. And then the other half of the time I was like, oh my God, you're leaving all this work for the parents. Like, this is so much of a mess Or to your clean family up. lives in squalor <laughs> or whatever. It's, yeah, it's, you, get, yeah. you can get judgmental about it or, or not realize what the flip side of your parents' neurotic behavior is that you wish you could get away from. The topic is behaviors that drive you crazy that have a flip side that is intricately related that you love. The good and the bad of a thing. I feel like that's probably actually closely related to this unintentional lessons thing. I think it'll be a particularly interesting conversation for me because I'm still relatively new to leaving home. And so I'm learning all of those flip side behaviors now, right? Like I'm learning both the the benefits and the drawbacks of like having a meal plan. And I'm like, and my friends were like so surprised that our family sits down and eats dinner together every night. Like, that was really shocking to them. And they felt like they were going to feel constrained by me cooking supper really frequently for them. And that that would, like, be restrictive. That it would force them to put in, get into this situation where they were 
forced to eat at a particular time or yeah but what they but what they found was that it was also really nice to just come home and have food ready right like that they could always expect food they could expect food at a similar time and they could and they knew that they had a set task they knew they were going to have to do dishes that night because the two of them alternated on who did the dishes right and so it had structure and community, but it is also restrictive, right? You know, you're going to have to participate. You know, it's funny because because mom and I grew up in households. Well, I don't know about mom, but in my household of origin, not only did we have the regular meal times where we sat down together, but we sat at a kitchen table. Whereas in our house, we sit we sit at the TV. And lots of times when you were younger, the TV would not be off. We'd still be in the living room or whatever. Or in fact, we ate at the at the kitchen table. I remember telling you guys about the rules of tag at the dining room table. <laughs> yeah, because we wanted to, to build that in. And then we got more flexible. We got more flexible with it as, as time went on. And we were confident in some of the bonds that we had. Like it was, it was intentional for us to mm-hmm. hold on to that, what seemed like an older family style of doing things that didn't necessarily suit us but that we wanted the connection with you guys and we wanted to I was scared when you went off to school that bad things were going to happen in your classrooms or on the playground and that we weren't going to tell you like me unable to tell your family because we didn't communicate and so anyway this is this is getting into a whole other set of topics so we have to wrap today so click like and subscribe (laughs) to our theoretical like and subscribe button and sign up for our patreon (laughs) and our kickstarter plus this is all free but just you know give us money yeah that's 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 what i had so many other things i wanted to talk about i'm sad you have to go go now right write them down in the google doc okay did you put anything in the google doc no i'm gonna do that afterwards because i don't want to read also google is evil now sponsored by google (laughs) yeah now for our first sponsor of the day elon musk our first (laughs) this is a good place to end the podcast okay i'm pressing stop okay